Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, episode number 65. We are here on a, what is it, Jeff? Is it a Tuesday evening? Tuesday evening. Here on a Tuesday evening in frigid Michigan. Frigid Michigan, another late night in the vomitorium. Yes, this is where we belong, though. This is our home away from home, you might say. That is true. And uh, we'd like to say thank you for listening. And what are we talking about this evening? Tonight is one of the great uh, unsolved archaeological mysteries out there. This is the search for the lost tomb of Alexander the Great. Okay. Yeah. And I find this one particularly fascinating. It's unlike, yeah, I think when people think, you know, archaeological mystery, they might think of like the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Um, I think this one is, in many ways is much more interesting. Like the Ark of the Covenant, I think you, know, that you stop hearing about it after the Babylonian invasion. Right. It's reasonable to assume it was destroyed and melted down there. Mm-hmm. This one was a prominent feature of a major city in antiquity. And it's completely lost. Completely missing. Right. So it was, a, it was a tourist attraction. Right. Right. Now, before we get into it too deeply. Yeah, sorry. I was right. getting ahead of myself. That's okay. Yep. Uh, I was thinking, should we hum some Raiders of the Lost Ark tune here? Uh, like a little do 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 I wasn't going to start out quite that high. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a low berry, I would say. A berry white? A low, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, let's let's get on to the shout-out. Okay, all right. So who do we got? Who's our shout-out? Uh, so today? this goes to Chris Rice, who was a student of mine about three or four years ago. He, you actually left our former institution right about the same time that Chris arrived. I saw this name. For, yeah, it looked familiar to yeah. me, but but I did not have him as a student. Great okay. student. So yeah. I named each of the students in my class with a Latinate name. I yeah. let them choose. Here's a proposal. Here's a suggestion. Yeah. You don't like it too bad. No, you don't like it. We can change it. And so Chris was known as Oriza. Oriza. Oriza is the Latin word for rice. It's from oh, a Greek word, yeah, Oriza. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Chris Rice, uh, he writes, was a former classical languages major at Calvin University, currently lives in St. Louis, Missouri, and works as a pastor of a ministry that serves impoverished and unhoused men and women in the city of St. Louis. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, very noble. Uh, classic. So he did double duty, Greek he and did. Latin. Yep. He took some Greek, took some Latin. I can remember exact, exactly where Chris sat in my Latin course. Hard worker. I mean, this guy, he was committed, right? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's since gone on to things that don't involve classics proper, you might say, but devoted listener to the classics and such a hard worker. Real honest guy, too. Great. I was very impressed with uh, this young man. So Very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to Chris for listening. Yeah, and, uh, and keeping the flame alive. Absolutely. Uh, carrying the torch or whatever it is that we say. That's right. So we got an opening quote, right? Yeah. Shall I tackle this one? Yeah, well... Or do you want to yeah, read, read this can one? I, I think you read the last two opening quotes. Okay. So you feel like like I'm kind of taking an advantage? You're like an opening quote hog. Okay, all right. Well, please, take care of this one, yes. Uh, So this is from uh, Andrew Chugg's book, The Lost Tomb of Alexander. It's Gardner's Books, 2004. This was actually Nicholas Saunders' Alexander's Tomb. Hey, you're the one that wanted me to read this. I just want you to be accurate, (laughs) all right? Yes. No, this is going to be your quote. I'm sorry. This is Nicholas Saunders' Alexander's Tomb, 2006. Uh, And Nicholas says, In the search for Alexander's tomb, we travel across the ancient world, witness extraordinary events, and encounter some of history's most famous and infamous figures. Along the way, from Macedonia to Mesopotamia, from Egypt to India and back again, we are ambushed by intrigue, deception, greed, and murder, seduced by astonishing wealth, drawn to military genius and extraordinary acts of bravery, repulsed by appalling brutality and mystified by claims to divinity. Can I just pause for a minute? Yeah. This is like the intro to a movie. It is like it's a movie trailer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Who wouldn't want to see this? I don't know. Yeah. We pick out, to resume, we pick our way through contradictory accounts, intrigued. I use that word twice now. I have to say. You're starting to cool to some yeah, of this. Sorry, Nick. Bit, yeah, sorry, Nick. Intrigued and amused by the many personalities who claim to have discovered his, that is Alexander's tomb, we learn that archaeology can be hijacked to serve political ends. Yes. Can you unpack this for us a little bit, Dr. Winkle? What's, well, what's going on here? So the kind of the bulk of the of the presentation we have tonight come from Saunders' book, Alexander's Tomb, and then also um, Andrew Chugg's uh, book, The Lost Tomb of Alexander, which are, um, as I understand it, um, probably the the most recent and best, more kind of popular introductions to this topic. Okay, uh, I'd say that Saunders' approach is is a bit more 
it's a swashbuckling. Well, it's 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 actually not swashbuckling. No. It's it's a little bit more um, kind of it keeps the 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 topic at a distance. Where okay. Chug is a little bit more interesting. He's a little bit more conspiratorial. All right, and he kind of pushes the envelope. But we'll see this at the end of our of of, of today. So Saunders, I think, is a while well, he writes very much for the. For the um, the casual the casual reader and, and right. grips their interest, he treats the topic um, in a much more kind of straight historical approach. Okay, Chug is more interested in kind of what's the dirt, right? Yeah, but, but Saunders, he is a he's a little more. How did you say? I mean, he's a little bit more kind of straightforward in the way that he okay. presents the Less topic. Less conspiratorial, right? Even though the the language of this uh, of this intro would um, would would uh, not suggest that. Okay, so yeah. what is it then that we are giving? Uh, to the listener this evening, well, and and the viewer, right? And the viewer, right? We're we're gonna we're gonna take them from the death of Alexander, okay, uh, to the current controversy. So the the tomb has still not been found. Mm-hmm. This is one of these things that um, um, I wouldn't say many archaeologists are in 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 pursuit of. I think a lot of archaeologists in this field today probably say it's not there. We're right, not we're right. not gonna find it. But it is one of these great unsolved mysteries. And both Saunders and Chug suggest, no, there are clues along the, along the way. And it takes us from the death of Alexander in Babylon uh, to Napoleon, uh, it, through the, the, the conquest of the Muslims. To Venice before, at uh, some point? To Venice. we got to go to Venice? Uh, yeah, so that's where Chug's kind of, kind of his, okay. his little uh, conspiracy comes in. So I went through an Alexander phase. Yeah. Uh, right after grad school, we all go through an Alexander phase, don't we? <laughs> we do. Well, you knew Peter Green, right? Yes, the great I, Alexander. I was, I was blessed to have uh, him as an acquaintance. I wouldn't quite say friend, but uh, so he was, I guess he was, what's the word I'm looking for? He was a catalyst to my Alexander phase. Yeah. So I read his book, you know, Alexander to Actium, the mm-hmm. uh, biography of Alexander. I read something by Hammond. Th- they're all in kind of the same genre, of course. They're the Alexander biography. Yeah. Different kind of approaches. Um, so I, I read three or four on the topic, and then I kind of cooled off. You know, I figured I, I know as much about that as I'd like to know for now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one thing that I do remember coming out of that is uh, Peter's claim, uh, Dr. Green, is that if the body of Alexander is intact, not dismembered or completely destroyed, it's floating around the sewers of Alexandria. Yeah. That's that's his takeaway from that. Is that right? Is that going to figure into tonight's? Well, I mean, I think probably, um, uh, probably I think Saunders would probably say, that you know, if there is a chance, I think he'd probably agree with that. Uh, Chug has a different uh, idea of the body may have been taken elsewhere. Okay. Um, my sense, my own, uh, my own personal sense is that the body was likely destroyed mm. at some point. There's these huge gaps in the chronology. Okay. But, but I think, yeah, I would say that I would agree with Green that if it is intact, that's where it's got to okay. be. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. So we're gonna give the listener uh, a kind of soup to nuts. Tour, yes, right? Absolutely. This is this is where Alexander started out at the time of his death in, in Babylon. Was it three twenty three? Yep. And then just trace it kind of out, and uh, at the end, we're going to tell them this well, is where they can find it. Yeah, exactly. Give some ideas of <laughs> of of, uh, of where it might be. Grab your spade and if your. If you were interested, this hat. is where you might go poking around. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You've exactly. got what fifty. Uh, to hundred thousand dollars lying around to exactly outfit an expedition and right buy the, buy the camels and the granola bars and exactly I often okay. offer it as an extra credit for students <laughs> yeah that nobody's taken me up on it yet okay yeah so let's get down into it shall right we? so I I think on, certainly on another um, uh, episode or episodes we'll have, we have to cover the career of Alexander the Great right but here we're starting at the end okay right so June ten mm-hmm. three twenty three B C uh, Alexander at the young age of only thirty two. Uh, he dies. Okay, and so his his whole kind of military career, where he starts in you know in Macedon and sweeps through all the way to India, right, is about ten years. Yes, that's about so, it, right? So it's three thirty six, I believe. Okay, so a little bit more than ten. I think three thirty six is when uh, Philip the Second dies, right. and he's only eighteen or so, right? Yeah, Alexander was born in. Um... No, he was he was twenty three. He was born in three fifty nine. Okay, he's twenty three years old. And he lives for another 13 years, dies at the age of 36 uh, in 323. Okay. So six major battles. Um, you know, check, you know, listener, check this on a Wikipedia. I'm going from memory here. But uh, gets right up to the Indus River, right, in the Indian subcontinent. He looks across the river, has some skirmishes there, an important battle. Yeah. Uh, and he realizes, or well, his men realize, this is a massively populated uh, place. We There's no way that 10,000... 30,000 Macedonians are going to subdue this mass of people. And right. so they mutiny, right? Right. And they head back. And then Alexander's army splits up yes. into two different groups. Right, exactly. And they also have this um, 
kind of brutal kind of death march kind of back through what we would call Iraq and Iran. That's right. right. Where, where many people died. It, I mean, it's clear to me that Alexander, uh, at some point, he reached a point where he had no idea what was over the right. next hill, right? He, oh, yeah, he, yeah. You know, he didn't I, know where he was going. If I remember the... Um the name of the Indian potentate was uh, Porus, and uh, over seven feet tall. So, oh, is that right? Right. And so just a really commanding figure uh, for Alexander and his men. Now, they had marched, right? These Macedonians had marched, I don't know how many miles. Thousands from, of miles. From Pella. But they were exhausted. This was a multi-year campaign, and they just basically said, I'm not going any further. Apparently, Alexander wanted to go on and find the Silk Road. He wanted to go all the way into China because, of course— um, they knew about the existence of the Chinese people and yeah. the spice trade and so forth, but his um, his men weren't interested. Right. He also founded, I believe, something like 27 different towns named after himself. Right. Alexandria. It shows a lack of creativity, yeah, no in my kidding. opinion, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I dubbed this Alexandria. Right. Again? Again? Really? <laughs> <laughs> and Kandahar, right, as the listener might know, Kandahar, Afghanistan... Uh, is one of these Alexandrias. You can hear it in the name, Kandahar Alexandria. Oh, yeah, yeah That yeah. he actually founded. So Kandahar was in the news uh, very much in the, the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah. It's one of the cities Alexander founded. Right. So the roman- the, the, that ro- there's a romantic anecdote that, uh, you know, when his men said, we're not going any further, he, Alexander, is said to have wept because he had no more lands to conquer. Right. right? But it's also in that same area that his beloved horse, Bucephalus, old, yes. old cowhead, yes. uh, dies. Right. And so... Devastating. Devastating to him, he yeah. Con- he contracted a number of marriages along the way. Roxanne was one of his uh, most famous brides. Yes. Um, but she didn't have to p- turn on a red light. <laughs> I knew you were going there. You did not. I did too. Right. I can't say the word Roxanne without doing a, a, a police <laughs> reference. I appreciate it. Is it police or sting? Police. Okay. Yeah, first police album. Is it Phil Collins or Genesis? It depends on what song you're talking Why about. Why do they have to do that? Well, Pick a band and stick with it. I agree, but these 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 prima donnas want the solo. They want the solo fame. Right. So Phil goes on, Sting goes on, right? Exactly. So eventually, you're gonna have your own podcast. Exactly right. <laughs> I'm, already, I'm already thinking about the, yeah. the, the break up. <laughs> have all of the benefits, but none of the drag. Exactly. Get oh. free of that ball and chain. I might leave in the middle of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your first? Uh, what would be your your freshman album right when you're the post the post ad nauseum years it'd be right? a, just it'd be a full episode of complaining about you yeah i can imagine <laughs> you need more than one episode i, I got a name for you suggest please esophagus <laughs> that's not bad you've thought about this yeah yeah, yeah. Well, maybe i'm working on one of my own you know <laughs> so in any event yes roxanne uh bactrian woman yes. i believe right and uh so it wasn't an empire like we think of, say, the Roman Empire. No. Um, I don't want to get too far afield here, as Alexander did, but go to a fortress, subdue it, extract its wealth, put a small band of Macedonian soldiers there, and move on. And move on, right. But nothing connected, no uh, extended tribute. He wasn't building railroads and you know, uh, NFL expansion teams. It was just... Conquer and move on. Right, which is so, it's so strange to me for for such a clear military genius that he was. You know the way that he he deals with the Persians at Granicus and Issus. Yep. Right, he doesn't seem to have a have had a plan for some kind of like pulling it all together. No. Whereas a Roman would say, okay, we've got to organize. Oh, this, right. right. And the consummate bureaucrats, the Romans. Right. Right. Break and build, but it seems like um, Alexander could only break. There's not much building. Right. With the exception of these mass marriages, which is something for another episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mass marriages he tried to stage between Persians and Macedonians to create some kind of a master race. This is part of the Alexander romance, not history proper. Right, right. 300 Macedonian uh, grooms and 300 Persian brides. And, you know, the way to defeat the Persians completely is to assimilate them. Yes, yes. His men didn't give her that. No, no, no. I mean, as I understand, this was a big part of the problem towards the end. So he comes limping back to Babylon, right? right? And he stays there. And his, his troops, his Macedonian generals are kind of wondering, okay, what's the, what's the plan? Right. And I think as Plutarch talks about, it's, it's, uh, they see him as kind of almost going native. He's yes. dressing oh. like a, a Babylonian person. Right, well, his excuse, though, I mean, come on, Winkle. His excuse was, look, the only way these, I'm speaking like Alexander, the only way these 
you know, savage barbarian Persians are going to really respect me is if I dress like a, one of their leaders, like a potentate. And, and that's why they have to do proskinesis. They get to come and kneel before me because mm. that's what they do to their shah, right? Yeah. To their king. So then he tried to make his Macedonian soldiers do that too. They were supposed to bow and scrape and kiss Alexander's ring when they came to his presence. Right. Now, was he really a megalomaniac? Did he think he had become God or something? I think he was making it up as he was going along. Definitely. I, right. I'm skeptical of that explanation. But his men were, you know, quite upset by right. the whole thing. Is there so one of the final straws is when he starts um, giving the kind of the local Persian troops, right. raising them in rank and honor, right. as the same as the Macedonian troops. And his guy, the guys that had been with him the whole time are thinking, right. hey, what's going on? Right. right. So there's two different ways to understand that. One is... Alexander is a very enlightened, enlightened, right? He has no, no bigotry of uh, Macedonians are better than Persians. Uh, the other way, I think, is more likely just he's an opportunist, opportunist. and making it up as he goes along. Yeah, 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 yeah. But his men certainly had no sense of enlightenment. They were deeply angry and hurt right. that these uh, Persians were being promoted above them. Right, exactly. But back to the body. Back to the body. So he dies right. under... Still mysterious circumstances. Um, was Dengue he, fever? Was it, yeah, exactly. Was Malaria? It, did he drink himself to death? Right. Was it uh, syphilis? The venereal it? diseases are always popular. <laughs> right. He was poisoned. It's not a joke. Possibly. <laughs> syphilis, always popular? Well, right? okay. The, the most interesting story, though, is that poison was smuggled in in a horse's hoof. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Perfect container. Who would suspect? No. I always carry a horse's hoof. Nobody says, where are you going with that horse's hoof? No, definitely. (laughs) But if there's poison secreted inside, and then I guess you mix it into Alexander's um, wine spritzer or something like that. Yeah, his wine cooler. Right, he goes right (laughs) past the umbrella. (laughs) Right. And boom, poison. Nobody's the wiser. No. Right. So according to the traditions, it's not in whatever he dies from. It's it's a bit drawn out. Right. People are coming. It's it's clear that the end is approaching. Right. And he's laying in bed. He's laying in bed. Right. But there's no plan. Okay, what are we going to do with all of this territory? What are we going to do with all of these 24 Alexandrias? Right. Right. And, and his generals gather around. Mm-hmm. We go in there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. And his cavalry commander. Okay. A guy by the name of, of Apertus. Right. Uh, apparently says to him. The kind of the question everybody's wondering, like, okay, who's next? Who's next? Right. To whom do you leave your kingdom? Right. And, and he at- puts his hand on his cheek and he says, kind of like, like the Godfather. Let me tell you something. <laughs> and he gives a, a signet ring, or he holds out the signet ring, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, this belongs to whoever can take it. Yes. To the to the strongest. Right. Right. Like like the uh, not unlike the golden apple. Right? Yes. Thrown out onto the dance floor at the wedding of Peleus and Thetis. To the fairest. Caliste, to the loveliest. Right, right, right. And of course, we know from Plutarch that Alexander slept with a dagger. It's one of my favorite stories. I'm sure I've told it on air before. With a dagger and a copy of the Iliad under his pillow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he needed to slice an apple, right? (laughs) He's got got it right there. It's paring knife. Right. Right. (laughs) And a copy of the Iliad because he wanted to surpass the exploits of Achilles. So I bet the two the strongest was inspired by the golden apple idea. Sure, right. But who he, took it? Well, it's 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 all up for grabs, yep. right? I mean, add to this problem is um, there's still the question: Well, is there a you know if it's not going to be one of the generals, if it's not going to be one of the strongest, is there a, an heir in the family? Um, Roxanne right. is, is pregnant, mm-hmm. but she's not a Macedonian. So is this child legit from a, from you know a Pella point of view? Right, the red light uh, district. Yes, exactly. Right. So he's got a half brother back home, Philip mm-hmm. III. Would that be a natural? But that's that's not going to fly either. Uh, was this the Philip that uh, was thought to have been um, physically weakened, yes. congenitally weakened? Yes. Philip III? Yes. And his tomb is at uh, Virginia, It right? is. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so that was... If he, I mean, if it was going to pass to him, he would be a figurehead only, right? right? Um, no, and in his, his mother's still alive. Olympias is back there. Maybe she's going to be pulling the puppet strings. Angelina Jolie. Yes, from uh, yes, the from Oliver the, Stone movie. Yes, yes. What did you think of that movie? Awful. So I, I don't think I, I couldn't make it through. Uh, the cinematography was outstanding. It was outstanding, but massive vistas shot on location. But that guy, who's the guy who plays Alexander? The, the Irishman? Oh yeah, who plays uh, uh, Colin somebody. Colin Firth? No, no, it's not Colin Firth. No, oh, I'll sheesh. think of it. Gosh. I, I have succeeded in forgetting about him. Yeah, altogether. But I think Philip is played by Val Kilmer. Really? Mm-hmm. Val Kilmer plays his father, Philip the Second. That's correct. That's right. Most underrated general of. Um, Antiquity. I would agree with that. According to Peter. Yeah. Peter Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Olympia and, um, oh, I can't remember that guy's name. 
in any event, uh, to the strongest. Yes. But who's the candidate? Ghost on the Throne. I, I think you've read that, right? The, Jamie Rahm's. Yeah, the, yep. the Rahm uh, book is about this question. Who's going to succeed? Yes, right. right. Antigonus, the one-eyed uh, versus uh, Perdiccas, right? Right, right. And this is where the body comes into play, okay. really. So, Are we up to the body? Yeah, we're getting to the body. So I think in the way that certainly that Saunders and Chug kind of painted is that the idea is that no, nobody's going to back down. They all want the territory. They all want the prestige of taking Alexander's place, all the, the generals. Perdiccas, they're, they're warlords, right? Yeah, exactly. Ptolemy, Olympias's mother back home, Seleucus, uh, Antigones. Cassander, don't forget Cassander. Don't forget Cassander. Everybody always forgets Cassander. But the idea seems to be that whoever gets the body and gets to bury the body um, has a kind of a claim of legitimacy that nobody else can have. Mm-hmm. So they all want the body. It's a talisman. Yes, Right. So it's not. It's in some ways it's less about the signet ring. It's about okay, who gets to legitimately bury Alexander? But why would why would the body confer any kind of legitimacy on the the um, owner of the body? Well, I think they're it's gonna, they're going to prop him up at events, <laughs> like weekend at Alex's kind of thing. <laughs> well, I mean, the way that the tomb ends up, I mean, people could file through and see the mummified body. Right. You know, if you had if you had enough. Uh, uh, clout, you could touch the body. Yeah. So I think the presence of the body, it's it's almost becomes like a, a statue in a temple. It's the presence of the god, mm. right? You know, he had been he had been declared a, a son of the god at the at the oracle, right, in in Egypt that mm. told him he was a son of Jupiter. Um, and so to have Alexander is, is to have kind of a god amongst you, right? And so I think that that comes into into play. So enter Ptolemy at this point. Mm-hmm. So he wants to, uh, he heads off for, for Egypt. Right. I, I, as I always understood, he kind of recognized that Egypt is far, if we're going to divide this thing up, that's kind of the plum. Okay. That's the prize. That's where kind of the Alexandria of the Alexandrias is. And he recognized that's going to be um, a lucrative position, a powerful mm-hmm. position. Um, but he also goes there uh, thinking that he, uh, he secured an agreement that the body's going to come back there. So he thinks, okay, I'm going to head to Egypt, I'll get the body. And that will kind of um, that will solidify my power base, right? Right. So, um, however, uh, other guys are kind of pulling strings and making arrangements. Um, Perdiccas, uh, his cavalry commander, um, he apparently gets Olympias, uh, Alexander's mother's support back. Right. The Macedonian says, right. uh, "No, we're going to bring the body back to the family tombs at at, um, at, at Virginia." The exactly. one who slept with Zeus before she gave birth to Alexander, exactly according to tradition. Exactly right. Okay, and so he's going to be buried there next to his his uh, father, Philip mm-hmm. II, mm-hmm. whose tomb has been found. Correct. Um, and so everything seems to be uh, kind of going that direction. Um, and so it's it's kind of down to these two guys are kind of struggling over the body. Now Ptolemy <clears throat> um, was a boyhood friend, right, of Alexander? Yes, student of Aristotle. Right. And uh, it was this Ptolemy who wrote the authoritative biography of Alexander during his time in Alexandria. Yes. Much later on in the story. Right. Lost. That that's lost. Yes. Right. But there are a number of Alexander um, histories based on Ptolemy's original. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, so the body starts, they, um, they're going to take it in this grand procession and mm-hmm. they load it onto a, a, a catafalque, uh, a large, a catafalque, okay. a large scaffolding, um, chariot thing, uh, to, to carry the body. And apparently this was, um, uh, an elaborate, almost like a mini temple okay. on a wagon being, t- it's not very subtle. Um, so what kind of a word is that? Do you know? I looked it up. So, you know, the, the, the kata is the Greek. Uh, the yeah, kata and then the F-A-L-Q-U-E. Apparently it's like an old French for meaning like a, a, a bench or a scaffolding. Okay. Like a sideboard. It's a moving sideboard yes. on which you put the body of a deceased potentate. Exactly. I'm always looking for definitions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anthony Hopkins. What about him? In the Oliver Stone, uh, Alexander the Great. He's in that too? What he is Ptolemy right at the end. Oh, okay. He's telling the whole story. Oh, He's yeah. telling me right at the end. Gotcha, gotcha. So the thing was loaded with good actors, right? But sometimes that a doesn't bit of a dud. It doesn't work. It's like a, a super group that just mm-hmm. it doesn't put out very good music, right? Yeah, like when Janet Jackson and who did she get together with? Oh, you know, what? never mind. <laughs> Pre- previous episode, anything Sammy Hagar has done after Van Halen would fall into that category. Okay. Right. So Ptolemy makes arrangements. Yes. So he's he's bribing people. He's paying off. Uh, he has to to pay off, and so there's a uh, certain Eridaeus. Okay. He's in charge of the whole catafalque. Okay. Um, and so it reminds it, it makes me think of like Lincoln's funeral procession. Yes. So the train going from dragged on and to, on to DC, making its way to Springfield. Right? right. And people would you know know it's coming, and so they stand by to watch it. Right. And throw it's, flowers and so forth. And... 
Exactly right. It was, a, it was a public event, a major public event. So I think this had to be something like this. And right. so, you know, Alexander's death, you know, the news of that must have rippled throughout the, the territories. Mm-hmm. And probably lots of people came to to watch this this huge rolling um, catafalk yeah, go pr- by. Parade. Right. So um, Ptolemy pays off the, the head of this, the guy who's in charge of this procession. Aridias. And they, they reach a certain crossroads, and instead of going north to... Mastodon. Flips the switch flips on the, the train sw- track. He does exactly, exactly, just like and there that. It goes Boom. off down the wrong direction. It's going south huh. towards towards Egypt. Um, and Ptolemy, he's he said he rides north with an army. Um, he intercepts it and makes sure it kind of makes its way to Egypt. Brings uh, it back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. The body of Alexander now in Ptolemy's possession. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Perdiccas finds out about this. He's furious, as you would expect him to right. be. Um, and Maybe his corpus. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You got to have the body. Got to have the body. Right. And so he he uh, he marches on Egypt, um, but uh, it's a disaster for him. He himself mm. is assassinated. His soldiers are massacred. Um, uh, Plutarch tells us Perdiccas. Uh, Perdiccas, sorry, right. yeah, yeah. Perdiccas is he, he's assassinated. His soldiers are are wiped out, swept away in the Nile, eaten by crocodiles. It's a bad way to go. It's a bad way to go. And so now Ptolemy has the body all mm. to himself. Okay, right? and uh, by all accounts, it never leaves his possession from here now it bounces around mm-hmm. and i think it's it's worth saying that there's a again there's a lot of gaps we don't know exactly what's going on here there's um um there's there's rumor there's kind of half facts here so we're going to do the best we can okay there are no there's no photographic evidence obviously there's no dna no forensic kind of stuff right a lot of speculation a lot of speculation so it seems ptolemy's plan which he ultimately carries through He's going to bring the body to Alexandria, mm-hmm. um, which was um, they're going to be the crown jewel of, right. Alex, of whatever this empire is, right? Right. But of course, it's, it's not ready there. There's there's nothing built, um, and so he's got to find temporary digs for this body. And so, to the best of our our knowledge, he finds a, a vacant tomb, okay, uh, down in Memphis, uh, not Tennessee. In he was walking in Memphis. He, he was walking in Memphis. Right? With his feet ten feet, ten feet off a beal. A beal. Yeah. Whatever that is. Beale Street, famous for blues. Okay. Right. And he uh, finds a vacant tomb. Yes. So and it was it, tools it was, in there. Yeah. So there, this tomb was reserved for the last native pharaoh of Egypt, a certain uh, Nectanebo II. Of course. But he was and never buried well. there, right? But there was a sarcophagus waiting to go, right? You know, and so we'll just put Alexander in that tomb. Tuck for him now away until it's. Um, it's 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 ready to go, hmm. and this is where I think it's in the the Chug book where he uh, he details that um, this t- this tomb has been found. Okay, and outside it is kind of the semicircle of Greek statues, hmm. which seem the seven stages. That's of highly Greek. suggestive. Very highly suggestive. Yes. Why would you find that in a pharaonic tomb? No, right? you wouldn't. And so, unless it were the, I mean, this is the implication, right? It were the temporary holding spot of Alexander's body. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, beyond that, there, I mean, there's no inscription saying you know. Alex lies here or anything right. like that. But the, the idea that you have these Greek statues facing the tomb suggests that, okay, this recognizes Alexander is there. Hmm. Was he buried there first? That's, that, that's, that's, Chugs suggests that's where he was and that's where he stayed for many, many years. Um, okay. Uh, yep. So let me just summarize. Yes. Alexander dies in 323 in Babylon. Yep. His body then is fought over by the generals like Cassander, Antigonus, Seleucus, Ptolemy, Ptolemy makes an agreement that he's going to get the body. He goes back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. But then who double-crosses him? Is it Perdiccas? Well, Ptolemy really double-crosses Perdiccas. By intercepting the body. By intercepting the body. And Paying bribe... off Aridias exactly. and the catafalque. Yes, right. Takes the body back, stuffs it in a temporary tomb, Nectanebo II. Yes. Where it will lie in state until something more elaborate is prepared. Is it, that the idea? Right. So Alexander's body stays there for... We don't really know how long it's there. About a hundred years. About a hundred. Well, Nectanebo the second. It's something like that. So we okay. know that Ptolemy himself he dies in around two eighty two. Okay. Um, his son Philadelphus uh, brings the body to Alexandria uh, sometime two twenties maybe. Right. Um, something like that. Buries it in a temporary tomb there in Alexandria, and then it's in two fifteen that he is magnificently placed in his final resting place. And okay. so, it's, it, two, so that's uh, over 100 years after Alexander. 215. 215. Okay. That this massive edifice and enclosure, um, central part of the city uh, where Alexander is buried and gains the name, the, it's usually called the Soma, the body. Right. Or sometimes it's referred to as the Sema, the big mm-hmm. sign. Like Jesse Ventura, right? The, the body. Yeah, exactly. Jesse the body Ventura. Exactly right. Right. So and th- so this is where he is 
uh, put to rest. Okay. And this is where kind of the uh, kind of the mystery really begins. Okay. Right. So one of the kind of I find the most fascinating parts about this is that is it was this massive enclosure, a huge edifice. It was a tourist attraction for um for for throughout the Roman Empire. So from two fifteen. To about the fourth century AD. Oh, so we've got almost six hundred years. Six hundred years, good five hundred years. Right, and we have lots of of, of recordings of, of famous people visiting the Julius tomb. Caesar, Caesar, right, right. Augustus. Yes, Hadrian, everyone Caligula. wants everyone wants to be Alexander. Right, and so lots of people are going to Alexandria just to see this thing, mm. and it completely disappears. Mm. Uh, now, I'm not an archaeologist. I've never been to Alexandria, Egypt, but my right. understanding is that Alexandria, Egypt, uh, the modern city. Um, in many ways, bears very little resemblance to the ancient city. Like even the like the you know like how in Rome like right. the Corso follows the Via Flaminia. Yes, right. And so uh, you, you can, can see the sketch of where things would have yes, been. Yes, exactly. Now, as I understand it, modern Alexandria is it's almost a completely different city on top of mm. the ancient ruins. So it's Superimpose. very difficult to do archaeology there. Right. Um, and to even locate something in the modern city of approximately where something in the ancient city would have been. Hmm. And so that's part of the problem of even knowing where to start to dig. So what do you think about this body being here, though? Isn't that a little bit creepy and people coming to see the body? A- anecdote. Anecdote? I got an anecdote Please here do. Yeah. while you think about that question. Yeah. Uh, the breakup of the Soviet Union, right? 1989, 1991. Mm-hmm. The, the Berlin Wall comes down in 89, around Christmas. I remember it well. Yep. Move on to around 1991. Soviet Empire is breaking up. Uh, I'm a uh, freshman, first-year student at... Uh, than Calvin College. Yes. And we have, you know, the deskie, the person who sits at the desk of the dorm. Right. Welcomes you into the dormitory and hands out your mail and so forth. Yep. And uh, Fern and I put a sign-up sheet there on the desk to uh, accompany us on our tour to see Lenin's tomb, Lenin's body there in Moscow at the Kremlin before it was dumped in a, in a ditch or something like that. <laughs> this is just a joke, entire spoof. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. People started signing up. I want to go. I want to go and see this body before it's... <laughs> And so then we started adding options, right? Do you want the you want the Cuban package, right? We'll also, you know, stop by Cuba, you know, check for cigar or no cigar. Visit Fidel. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do, do a whole tour. Nice. We're, we're trying to just, you know, have a laugh and uh, make fun a little bit of communism and its collapse. Yes. Eventually, the RD, the resident director of the dormitory, had to say, you people are taking this too seriously. You got to knock it off. Really, it was canceled. It really yes. Pulled the sheet. Pulled the sheet. Oh tore man! Tore it right up from the desk, and that was oh. exciting. But it's kind of creepy. These people filing past Lenin's body. Right. What seventy years after his death, something like that. What's even creepier is it didn't get dumped in a in a virus pile. It's still there. Well, you yeah. can still see it, right? But that's exactly what it makes me think of of, of filing past right. Lenin's embalmed body. Right. right. Alexander. People are visiting it. Mm-hmm. It's a shrine. They're paying homage. Yes, and he's mummified in mm. the in the Egyptian like a like a pharaoh. Yes. Like a god king. Coat hanger up the nose. Pull the brain. Pull out. the brain out. Stuff whatever they put in there to preserve it. Yeah. That's it's not far off. I mean, it's not a coat hanger, but no. That's... You know, uh, another anecdote. You know, Let's hear it. Back in the, back in the day, I took a communications class, a speech class, right? And one of the speeches at you had the to... same institution. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, and uh, well, you had to do a how-to speech, mm-hmm. and so people are doing like you know how to how to sew a shirt, how to change <laughs> the oil, and I did how to mummify a body. <laughs> and I remember the coat hanger. The yeah. Coat hanger and yeah. What oh, was your grade? Uh, I can't, oh, the, the, the they love it. Killed. Right. It killed. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. <laughs> Were you able to to preserve their attention? I oh, did. Yeah, yes, okay. exactly. Right. Speaking of paying homage, <laughs> yes, it's time. It is time for commercials. Yes, time to go to the break. This episode of Ad Nauseum is brought to you by Hackett Publishing. With offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts and Indianapolis, Indiana, Hackett has been bringing high-quality, affordable translations to a mass market for, what, more than 40 years now? Yes. Jeff, what do you like about Hackett? Um, I like uh, the affordability. Yes. Um, I love the quality of the translations. I was just reading um, just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the... Don't, don't give me Euripides Bacchae again. No, 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 no. This is actually the copy of um, Ovid's Metamorphoses, ah, right. which we referenced in a, in a recent recent episode. Yes. And beautiful cover. Yes. It's a quality package, um, really readable, mm-hmm. uh, accessible translations. It's great stuff. Highly idiomatic, but not loose, free, or inaccurate. Right. 
And that's a difficult uh, needle to thread. It absolutely is. And let's be honest also, uh, so grateful for Hackett's support of this podcast. Yep. People do a lot of complaining, I understand, I feel it, uh, about how the classics are under assault, so on and so forth. Not so popular in certain precincts. Hackett stepped up and it, said, hey, we're going to continue to promote high-quality classics of the Western tradition, plus lots of other stuff. Yes. And uh, and support this uh, this broadcast. Yeah. The, um, the term happy warrior... I, I think describes Hackett very well to me. They're, I mean, they're they're um, they're engaged. They're, right. they're they're keeping that that torch lit. Absolutely. Um, yes. Unapologetically bringing the classics um, um, to another generation. That's right. They got the Lingua Latina per se Illustrata series, which I love so much. They got several different editions of Plato's Republic, the Reeve translation worth checking out. A new series of Aristotle. They have the Shakespeare editions. Great stuff. Great stuff. So, what should the uh, the listener do? So uh, check and, and the viewer sorry. and the viewer. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, they should. Go to hackapublishing.com right. and find the text that they want, um, and then put them in your little grocery bag. Baggy. Yep. And then type in the, the code AN2021. That's right. And what will that give them? Well, we'll flash that on the screen here, AN2021. It will give them 20% off, which if I'm not mistaken, is nearly one-fifth. Yeah. And free shipping. Free shipping. Check it out. This episode of Odd Nauseam also brought to you by Ratio Coffee. Ratio Coffee, uh, based in Portland, Oregon. That's right. Uh, Mr. Mark Helwig has done it. Yes, he has. What has he done? He has solved all your brew-based problems. Not just the brew-based. It not only makes a delicious cup of coffee. Yeah. I had a whole pot this morning. You drank the whole pot? Of course. I'm <laughs> one of the only coffee drinkers uh, in my villa, you might oh, say. Oh, is that right? And I love it. So yeah. I had a delicious, delicious morning with the Ratio 8. Yeah. Oh, the eight. That's uh, yeah, right. That's yeah. right. Solves your brew problems and your aesthetic problems. Yes. I got the ratio six. It's a great looking machine. I have to split a pot every morning. With my, Mrs. Winkle. Yes. We compete over. Yes. But you're happy, right? It's a happy, happy competition. Absolutely. So the hot water comes up through the metallic veins, goes down into the cone, off-gassing all of the noxious CO2 with its... That happens in the bloom stage. Is that the bloom stage? Yes. The Do bloom I even st- operate this machine? <laughs> The brackish tang escapes. It escapes. It's bloom. Bloom. Followed by the brew. And then it's ready. It's ready. We got two LED lights, and then you got a great cup of Joe right there in your hand. That's right. So we have two special things to say this week about uh, ratio. We do. First of all, you can get the standard coupon code for fifteen percent off the six or the eight, mm-hmm. and that code is uh, A N C O. A N C O. And this is big news for the next three episodes. This one, sixty-five, sixty-six, and sixty-seven. We are going to be reading a special code. Not here during the ad. You're gonna have to listen to the rest of the episode. Should I say it right now? No, oh, no, okay, no, sorry. no, no, no. Okay, right. Torture them. Right. They gotta wait till later. And then if you go to racialcoffee.com slash A N C O, we'll put that on the screen, and you enter the number, which I'm going to give later, you'll be entered in a drawing to win your own racial six. And no cost to enter. No cost. No. Nothing. Excellent. No. And you can therefore enter 2022 not drinking the bilge water, but drinking actual excellent coffee from your racial six. Check it out. You won't regret it. This episode of Odd Nauseam also brought to you by the Moss Method for learning Greek. Dave, tell us a little bit about the Moss Method. Yes, so the Moss Method, thank you, Jeff, is a program that I have developed for anyone to learn Greek. I have students studying, they're about ages 12 and 13. I have students studying who are octogenarians, up there pushing the 80s. Wow. The Moss Method takes you from neophyte to... Erudite? Exactly. Yes. So uh, Charles Melville Moss wrote this first Greek reader in the 1890s. I've taken it and I have divided it up into four modules. And uh, it takes you through every step of the Greek language. Alphabet, syllabification, accents, teaches you all the grammar, word by word, phrase by phrase, the whole nine yards. But it's fun. It's fun. Yes. Do you want to know why? Why is it fun? How it's could that be fun? It's fun because you're reading actual stories the first day of class. So you're reading Greek right from the beginning. Exactly. Okay. It's not learn a rule, apply a rule with a couple sentences and then forget about it. You're reading stories from the beginning. That sounds but great. I'm there helping you. It's expert, self-paced, accessible. Excellent. So you yourself are accessible. Yeah, no That's fl- part of the accessible no part? No flanky. I'm there every week for awesome. an hour. The Moss Method office hours, the Moffis hours, on Zoom, <laughs> one hour per week, answering questions about Herodotus and New Testament and Plato and anything you like. Whatever they throw at you. Whatever they throw at me. Yeah. So you need to go, please, listener, to mossmethod.com. Watch the free instructional videos. You can learn a lot of Greek for free, uh, or you can sign up for the course, $2.99 per module. 
Now the black fry monsai has expired. Oh, I don't. I wanted to say that uh, again. Go ahead and say it. The black fry monsai no longer available. Has expired. Okay. We'll have a Christmas sale or a New Year sale. But Excellent. This one has expired, but you can still sign up and get lots of Greek. So you really ought to check it out. Mossmethod.com. That's right, Mossmethod.com. But two more brief announcements. Okay. First of all, I am uh, teaching a course on Cicero's De Natura Deorum, The Nature of the Gods. Ooh, excellent. Starts in January. And uh, as of this recording, there's one more spot remaining of the 10 who will interact with me live, Viva Voce. Okay. But if that's filled, you can also audit the course at a highly reduced price, $75. You get 10 episodes, 10 hours worth of instruction where I'm teaching these other students. You can watch, follow along, take notes, plus you get um, unlimited ad libitum interaction with me after class. That sounds great. So one slot left for the... One slot for, for the, the Viva Voce, okay. the in-person. But anybody can audit it oh. and enjoy Cicero's brilliant, uh, brilliant prose. So go to latinperdm.com, click the banner ad, and you'll see the material there so you can enroll in this course as an audit. And finally... The LLPSI, the Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata, Latin teaches itself. Big program launching in January, so stay tuned. So more information coming. That's right. Excellent. All right, Jeff. So as we get back into it now, mm -hmm. uh, the body of Alexander is in Alexandria, yes. in the possession of the Ptolemaic dynasty, yes. temporarily in the tomb of Nectanebo II, right. and the year is around 215, 200. And now it's finally in its, its, uh, its, its massive new enclosure. Okay. Right? So oh, no, it's out of Nectanebo II. Yes, exactly. Right. It's in the large pyramidal or pyramidal thing that the Ptolemy family built. We think. Okay. Right, right, right. So as we were saying, this is part of the, this is part of the oddity that... Um, it, apparently, it was this massive enclosure, right. a massive tomb. People are coming from all over to see it, um, and uh, it's completely disappeared. And uh, the very just vague descriptions mm. of what it looked like. So it was there from approximately 215, you said, to almost the 4th century? We think so. So mid-300s or so, Something perhaps. like that, right. And it was uh, apparently it was a thalos. It was a circular tomb. A circular base with some kind of pyramidal top. Right. That's what we think. And so, um, and, and if I may, mm -hmm. if a rooster laid an egg on the top of that yeah. tomb, which side would it roll down? I, I, have, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. What okay, you never mind. <laughs> it's, a, it's a riddle you tell children. Oh, it is? Roosters don't lay eggs. Oh, okay. I, I okay. completely missed that one. Try it out on your, on your kids. I'll try that. Right. Okay, which side does it roll down? So, um, Chug talks about, okay, well, if it doesn't exist, and we have these vague des descriptions... How can we get a better idea of what it might have looked like? Right. And so his idea is that we might look at some of these um, imperial tombs mm -hmm. that come later. In the Hellenistic era. Yes. Got uh, it. In the Hellenistic era and into the Roman era, if you um, or even uh, tombs that even predate Alexander. Okay. So he suggests that we know that Alexander visited Cyrus the Great's tomb. Yes. And that survives. It does, yes. Yeah. And so we should, we should throw a picture up of that at this point. So we sh we should. It looks like. Yes. Um, so he suggests that maybe when Alexander's sweeping through, he's thinking, hmm, I might want to be buried in that fashion. Right, taking notes. Right. So you have the, kind of the stepped base with, yes. a, with a kind of um, you know, a triangular top on the, right. uh, 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 above it. It's, it's kind of like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like these tombs are a miniature of what you might find in a cemetery, but on a massive scale. Yes, there's exactly. No, there's no functionality to it. Typically. Right, 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 right. Exactly right. Um, I, others uh, I have suggested maybe the mausoleum of Halicarnassus, right. which also doesn't survive, but we have a better idea of what it looked like. Mausoleus is the man's name. Yes, right, right from and which his, we get a na our term mausoleum, right? right? His wife, Artemisia, uh, the statues of which are in the British Museum. Yes. The massive colossal statues. Yeah, right? exactly. He was the first one, as if I'm not mistaken, to build this uh, wedding cake style tomb for himself and the members of his family. Yes, right. The audaciousness of Hellenistic imperialism is right. the idea. Right, looming above the harbor there. Correct. Um, uh, others have suggested, well, um, you know, we know emperors such as Hadrian yes. and Augustus both visited the tomb of Alexander. Right. And they went to build these massive tombs for themselves. Right. The Castle San Angelo right. is the, the tomb of uh, the mausoleum of Hadrian. Yeah. And the, the listener might know that Augustus's mausoleum was recently restored and is now open. At long last. Yes, right by the Arapacus. It was a dump. Total It, it dump. might still be a dump. I think they're still working on it. Well, I think but, it's 
going to open soon. It's been vastly restored. It was one of the. It was so strange to me that it was such a neglected yes. monument. The last time you and I were there, it was Correct. broken beer bottles all right. over it, and, and that was sixteen. Now I was there in both seventeen and eighteen. So even in eighteen, it wasn't it was still. But they were working on it. Okay. So I am so eager to go back to Rome and see this. Yeah. Oh, me, me too. Right by the Arapacus there. So could that could Hadrian and Alex and sorry Augustus have wanted to model their own tomb on right. Alexander. So that's this I mean there's no record, a, there's no a, record of that written, right. but that's the suggestion. It's a very clever suggestion. It's mm-hmm. a very plausible idea. Right. So I mean other things that we know, we know that uh Alexander was first buried in a solid gold coffin. Yes. Um but uh, 89 BC rolls around and one of the later Ptolemies is in desperate need of cash. <laughs> he's got he's got to pay some angry troops. Right. So he melts this down, strikes coinage, yep. and pays it off. If um, only he could have printed paper money. I know. <laughs> it would have been much easier. <laughs> right. Uh, what about the stories that his body, the body of Alexander, inside that golden uh, tomb or that glass tomb, the body was encased in um, honey? Oh, I, I haven't have heard, heard this heard one. That? No. Some preservative. The entire body was um, entombed in honey because mm. then, you know, it wouldn't corrupt at all. Sounds tasty. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> right. Moving on. So uh, this later Ptolemy who 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 melts down the gold coffin apparently he's the one who replaces it with this glass coffin okay. that, you, that you can that you can see the body uh, through and this apparently lasts for a very long time. Is this the inspiration for the late seventies television dance show? Which one? Solid Gold. Solid Gold. Oh, do you remember that? Of course. Marilyn McCoo. I don't yeah. know who was on. All it. these bands lip syncing their hits. I was a child. You were? Yeah. I remember Solid Gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would deep, like to think cut. so. Yeah, deep, very deep cut. All right. So then, so this sets up the string of um, of famous visitors. Mm-hmm. And so the, the Romans come along, they incorporate uh, Egypt into their empire. Uh, we know Julius Caesar uh, comes by. He's the one, he comes to Alexandria and he's wowed by the city. Of course, right? he wants he and he goes back to Rome and says, "But Rome's a dump, right? And we got to change this." But then he's killed before. Yes. Where he can uh, realize his plans. But then Augustus takes over. Takes over, right. And so from, but, from brick to marble. Right. So Alexander becomes kind of this benchmark of uh, for guys like Caesar, guys like Augustus, of what Rome should aspire to. Mm-hmm. Um, so Augustus goes through, I mean, there's that, that, that wonderful, awful story where Alexander, or sorry, Augustus uh, re- requests that the, the coffin be opened. And he reaches out to touch the face of the body. Really? Yeah, and then the, the nose breaks I've off. I've never heard this story. Yeah. Where's this from? I, I can't remember where it's from, but it's it's a it's it, a Marx Brothers it's, it's, film or it, something. It's so great. You have to imagine all of these dignitaries standing around, and he reaches out to touch the face of Alexander, <laughs> Oops. and off comes the, the nose. nose comes <laughs> off. <laughs> it's like the Three Stooges, exactly. Or worse. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, Caligula comes by. He takes Alexander's breastplate for himself and, and an ear, maybe. Right. That's so Caligula, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Vespasian, Titus, Hadrian, they're all coming by to pay homage. Hmm. Um, and so this goes on. What about Septimius Severus? Oh, that's he, where we're headed next. That's right? where we're heading next, right? So uh, you get to the you know, early part of the third century, Severus comes by and he's horrified about how many people are just filing through. Right. right? It's, it's the Severan dynasty. Yes. Right? 200 AD. It's like a subway stop. People are just kind of walking through right. past the body. He says, this cannot be. So right. he's the one who seals it up. No more visitors, mm. and throws in a bunch of the uh, you know the uh, magical magical papyri, other things that he disapproved of. Things seal- that belong to the Egyptians. Yep, seal it up. Is this uh, some you know reading for Alexander? Is that the idea? Is is it like a um, Egyptian burial in that sense? Maybe it- something like you you the, 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 like you can take it with you. Right, right. Perhaps not not said facetiously, but you know authentically. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, and then here's where we start to get some serious gaps in our knowledge. It's just there's no mention of the tomb for uh, the next century. And then third and fourth century of Alexandria, we're starting to see you know the spread of Christianity. Okay. And a lot of pushback against these pagan temples. And you can see why some early Christians wouldn't like um, a uh, a tomb of a god king right. in their midst. Right. And so there are you know, there's there's wars, there's sieges, there's natural disasters, there's anti-pagan uh, riots, there's mm-hmm. tsunami. And so I think my sense is that most archaeologists who are interested in this question think it's at this time that the tomb is destroyed and the body is probably lost. Dumped in the sewer. Dumped in the sewer, okay. right. 
Um, and this is what? What are the? What's the years we're dealing with now? We're talking fourth century. So the, what? The last possible reference to the tomb comes from a, a kind of in uh, a fragment of a kind of an anti-pagan speech by uh, Archbishop uh, Gregorius. Uh, is it Georgius? Georgius, sorry. That's okay. And, and this dates to the year three sixty one. And in his fiery uh, polemic, he says, "How long shall this tomb stand?" Mm-hmm. And the idea is that he's referencing to this, maybe even standing in front of it. Like, right. You know, how, how long we let this pagan monument sit? It's here? been almost six hundred. Years, right. Let's let's put it to rest. And then maybe all. it's after this that the uh-huh. tomb is burned down in okay. one of these clashes, right? And so then it's it, it's it's gone um, for several centuries until we get to about the the six hundreds, and we start to see the rise of um, uh, the Muslim Caliphate, right? Right. So uh, I think Muhammad dies in the year six thirty two, uh, but his. Um, is the, the caliphate that that succeeds him sweeps through Egypt throughout North Africa mm-hmm. and um, puts it under the banner of Islam, and this is where kind of, where both Chug and Sanders kind of pick up the story and they say that it's um, this is where Alexander kind of rears his head in an interesting way once hmm. again. Um, Alexander's memory amongst the the Muslims seems to be a much more favorable one than under the early Christians. Okay, and so they venerate Alexander and they call him uh, in um, in Arabic the Zulkarni, the two horned two horned one. Okay, and so he this was is off- because on his coinage, right? So he's depicted as the god Ammon. That's right, Zeus Ammon. Zeus Ammon. So in Libya, there was an, a shrine or an oracle to one of the Zeuses, the local Zeus, Zeus Ammon. Yes, who apparently. Um, someone listening can probably set us straight. Was associated um, with some of the Carthaginian gods, so he was a he was a Semitic god, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, the Baals of the Old Testament. Yes. Um, and so the Carthaginian people, Phoenicians, were coming from the Levant, right, from right. the area of Palestine. They go west to what is today Tunisia. They found the city of Carthage, eighth yes. eighth century BC, and so then in Libya. Uh, Zeus Ammon, right, is a mixture of a Greek god and some kind of Semitic god. And, of course, the famous story is Alexander arrives at that temple. It's as far west as he went in the desert sands. Right. And uh, he goes up the steps, and the priest comes out and says something to him like, uh, he, he greets him, Chaira Technon, something like that, or Chaira Huya. Uh, greetings, child, or greetings, son. Yes. And whether he's just, you know, this is how you typically say hello to a young kid who's um, sightseeing at the temple, or whether he believes that Alexander is the son of Zeus Ammon, the story is Alexander took it as, well, I'm divine. Right. Because the priest called me son, son of the god. Right. So thereafter, the coinage, he's got these horns, right? We could throw an image up here. He's got these horns on his head of what it looks like to be Zeus Ammon. Exactly right, and so I mean, the, so coins is a, a, a one of the more rapid ways in antiquity to kind of spread a political message, right? So he, he also depicted himself with the lion skin of Heracles over his head, right? right? So I mean, all these ways of kind of connecting him to the divine wherever he might be. Correct. Yeah. So then you're saying in the Quran he's called a Zulkarnayn. Yes, right? the two horned one, the one with two horns. Right, and there's a positive depiction. Yes. Now is I take it in the kind of this argument. This is a very thin thread to grab onto. Okay. But the idea is that kind of the memory of Alexander and uh, in Islamic Alexandria kind of hangs on and sticks around. And you have to kind of get jumping centuries. You get to down to kind of the 9th and the 10th centuries, uh, Arab texts start to to talk about the tomb of Alexander Hmm. in uh, Alexandria once again. And it seems... So the the thin thread, if I may interrupt, is that this is taken to be some kind of evidence that maybe the archaeological or architectural... You know, the building is still there. It's still there, or there's something there. If it's mentioned in the Arab text, right? There's there's something there that the the Muslims would venerate. Okay. Right, and um, the connection seems to be that um, ninth and the tenth centuries, there's this um, so-called Atarine Mosque. Okay. In in Alexandria, there's a couple of engravings. We can maybe flash one on the screen that survive of of what's what was left of this of this mosque. Uh, seems to be mentioned in the same breath or as the same thing as the tomb of Alexandria. Now, what exactly does the tomb Al- of Alexander? Sorry, yep. what does what does that mean? There's a later map that shows up, the so-called Braun and Hogenberg map from 1575, so much later. Okay. Um, there's a detail in the middle of it. Now, again, this if you if you look at this map, it's as far as kind of you know pinpointing exact locations. It's very hard to see. It's hard to see. I it's, see a Denny's. Maybe <laughs> there's a Denny's. There's a Walmart. Right. Um, <laughs> but it. I mean, this not much, not much parking. No, terrible parking. You know, who would want to go there? Um, but not very useful as far as like pinpointing you know an accurate right. place in the city. But there's there's a uh, in the center of it. There's this large edifice 
that uh, Braun and Hoberg uh, label as the mosque to the left of it, and then below it, the Domus Alexandri Magri, the home of Alexander mm. the Great. So this combination of the Adarine Mosque and this 1575 map the house of alexander right what does it mean right um keep going uh later right. on so down into you know the the 19th century so now um, we're in 1823 1823 right the adarine mosque has decayed it's disappeared it survives just in these engravings um and there's also this tradition that uh the prophet daniel okay uh from uh you know judeo-christian tradition but right. also you know dovetails with islam as well right um He's the prophet Daniel. Nabi Daniel is called in uh, in Islam. Comes to also be associated with with Alexander. Okay. And so in kind of Arab traditions about kind of the, the arc of the life of Daniel, parallels many elements in the life that's, of Alexander. That's strange. That's brand new to me. I'd never heard that. It is very strange, right? And so again, the question: What do you make of it? Right. Right. Um, it's 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 kind of easy and dangerous to speculate uh, about this. So there's something about. Maybe this 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 Atarine mosque was dedicated to Daniel. Okay, but in the Arab tradition, Daniel and Alexander are the same. They're treated guy? as very similar, overlapping stories. Overlapping stories, right? Um, and again, it might have something to do with some that place in the Atarine mosque was a place of veneration for Alexander in Alexandria, which might suggest that there's some kind of archaeological connection mm. there. Right. So I grew up in a rural part of Michigan. Yes, and uh, none of the houses in my neighborhood. Well, first of all, they were all quite far apart, quarter of a mile or more. But none of them were more than 150 years old because, you know, Europeans didn't live, European settlers didn't live in Michigan, rural Michigan, very early, right? Yeah. But there were a number of houses that uh, had burned down, right? And you could see the foundations that are covered with mossy stones and so forth. Yeah. And I remember walking by them as a children, as a child, <laughs> and uh, or as children, and, you know, putting together stories in my own mind, mm. things that I had heard or things I thought my parents had told me about who lived there and what was going on. Right. And that can quickly grow into a kind of a mythology. Or urban legend. Right. Certainly, it was certainly. a haunted house or so-and-so lived there. And right. This was the, you know, this is where the, the torso pile was and things like that. <laughs> as Simpsons reference. <laughs> right, right, right. The torso right. heap. There's the torso <laughs> the heap. torso heap. Right. right. So uh, I take it from your same anecdote, kind of thing, right? So, so you're kind of you're. I take it you're kind of skeptical about a lot of. I'm skeptical because I don't think I had good information on any of the things I was told. Gotcha. But my main point is, it's not surprising, mm. especially in a here. I'm going to sound a little bit chronologically snobbish. Yeah. In a preliterate society, that people would forget what buildings represented and with whom they were associated. Sure. And as hundreds of years go by. They start to think that this building belonged to Daniel, maybe instead of Alexander. Right. And who can keep track of all this? Exactly. Stuff? Who can keep it straight? Right. Exactly. So I think you do have to kind of approach this with. Um, I mean, it's fun to kind of do dive into the story, but you have to right. kind of take it with a grain of salt. So, uh, interesting fun fact: Schliemann, um, of one of our early. No, no, you mean Schliemann. Schliemann. Right. He uh, he applied to dig there. He want he I mean he wanted to find Alexander's tomb. Does that surprise anybody? To whom did he apply? Uh, I, I I don't know whoever was Calif in charge Tur there. The Turkish, the, the caliphate, the Ottomans in charge of I believe uh, it was the, Egypt. Yes, the, the Ottomans, yes, still no. at so that point. So here's a good point to say um, that the code for ratio oh. is six five six seven. Six five six seven. We should look meaningfully at the camera. It's six, six five six, six seven. seven. Maybe flash it up here. <laughs> Enough said. So Schliemann wanted to dig there in 1888. Got the stiff arm. Hmm, right? That's no good. He no. would have found something. Oh, he would have found something. Even if it was not fake. Found it, he'd have made it he up. He would have made it up. Right, 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 right. He would have uh, found that nose. Yes. Yeah, he would have found that nose. The one that Augustus nose. broke off and tried to dump back in without anybody noticing. Exactly. Anything. Oh, man. That's a, that's, a, that's a story waiting to be to mm. be written. So now, what makes this really interesting? Uh, so in this engraving, uh, which, uh, you know, if you're watching this, we can show on the screen, uh, in the of the Adarine Mosque, you can see in the middle, underneath this little kind of dome chapel, there's you can see a little sarcophagus in there, mm. and this sarcophagus was later found, um, and it was was part of the same time Lord Elgin is taking away the Parthenon mar marbles and okay. Napoleon's gathering stuff for the early nineteenth century. Early nineteenth century, uh, this was found, and um, it's the it's the sarcophagus uh, of Necht Neville II huh. by translating the hieroglyphs. So. The idea is that, that by, tr by translating hieroglyphs, you say. You say this was the sarcophagus intended for that owl, owl, bird, bird, crocodile. I right. I yeah. That's I bird. Nectanebo. 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 Who, if you remember, that was the the empty tomb that Alexander was huh. originally buried in. Okay. So the idea is that okay, he was originally placed in that coffin. Right. That coffin was brought north to Alexandria, and remained there huh. to the point where 
it was found, and now now you can see it in the British uh, in the British Museum, where all good things go. Right. So it, but it, um, if you look at the sarcophagus, there are these holes drilled in the bottom, and it seems to have been used as kind of a, a purification bath hmm. for people worshiping at the mosque there. Hmm. And so it's the mosque of Nabi Daniel, but it's the sarcophagus that Alexander's body maybe was in. Hmm. You could see it's it, it it's creating more questions than it's answering, right? right? Um, but it's all intriguing. It's all kind of Very thin archaeological evidence that's kind of pointing towards perhaps uh, something. All right. So we gotta we gotta be on the downslope here, right? We do. We yeah. do. All right. So are we up to Napoleon yet? We got to get to Napoleon. Okay. So um, so Napoleon comes along late 18th century, early 19th century. He's fighting with the English over Egypt, and it's kind of going back and forth. But Napoleon, he's, he's got kind of part of this Greek fever that right. a lot of people have in the e- Egypt Egypt fever. Mm-hmm. And um, in 1798, he maps Alexandria, the medieval city of Alexandria. Okay. And that's a map that survives. And so we know from ancient sources, uh, as loose as they are, um, that wherever Alexandria's tomb was in, in the city, it was somewhere near kind of the main crossroads, okay. the the the, the uh, Cardo and Decumanus of, that's right. of the city. So to speak. Right. So the question is, okay, if that's true, how do you find that? You, okay. you, you know, given, given Alexander's map, given the modern city, where do you even start to look for the center? Mm-hmm. Right? And so um, Alexand- in Napoleon's map, the very eastern edge of the city he maps as the, the so-called Sun Gate, okay. which is kind of the far eastern part of Where the city. Where the sun rises in the east. Yes, right? Uh, and then later explorations showed that uh, the medieval city was much, much smaller okay. than what the ancient city was. And so um, the suggestion is that the Sun Gate, uh, which is the eastern half, the eastern edge of the medieval city, is actually quite near where the center of the city was. Oh. Um, and uh, Chug makes a, a, a big uh, a big deal of this. Is there's um, there's this painting called the um, I think it's called the Rosetta Gate or yes, something Luigi like that. Yes, Luigi Meyer. Right, and this um, from 1801. And this gate, none of this what you see in the painting no longer survived. This has all been destroyed mm. in the remodeling of the city. But if you look at this, this is the so-called Rosetta or the Sun Gate. Okay. And if you look at um, in the painting. Yeah, we it, should put this up on the screen. Yes, it seems it. to be – they're classical remains. Right. And so the gate is kind of incorporated. You see the medieval wall right. kind of builds itself into – And the a, niches. In, into a Hellenistic uh, right. structure. Right, right. you would have placed the statues. So you see the statue niches. You see kind of these large Corinthian columns. So Chuck suggests is that what you see there is the remnant mm. of w- the enclosure of Alexander's tomb. Mm. And so, uh, and again, if you look at, if you overlay, and we archaeologically, we have a better idea of kind of the size and shape of ancient Alexandria. And if you overlay than, that, than if, medieval or yeah, and if you if you overlap that with with Napoleon's uh, medieval map, okay, indeed that Sun Gate seems to be quite near where the center okay. of the city was. Now we still, it's it's, I mean, that makes it sounds like oh, we can pinpoint it, you know, with GPS. No, I mean the modern city is so uh, different, right? Uh, it doesn't give you a clue. And it's notoriously hard to, to dig there. Right. Um, but you do hear these stories, right? I think it's three to, three to five years ago, I read a news story. Amateur archaeologist in Italy was just surveying the countryside using Google Maps, right? Yeah. A satellite image and discovered the, the outlines of a Roman villa not far from where he lived. Oh, which wow. Which no one had known was there. That's crazy. Yeah, and went and dug it up and there it was, right? So uh, this is open to anybody, you know, this kind of uh, checking out from satellite images where things might be situated. Sure. And then add to that, you know, there are advancements in things like uh, like um, LIDAR, using laser kind of mapping. You're just making that up. No, no, no. It stands for something. Laser something something. Okay. Um, but doing kind of... Um, you know, kind of ground penetrating radar hmm. without having disturbed having having to disturb the landscape, and you can kind of see f- well below the surface. So where does that leave us, Jeff? Well, um, there's uh, Chug suggests a, a, a couple of places in the modern city where you know if we're going to find remnants of you know not the body but maybe okay. the tomb. I want to find the body. Well, we all want to find the I body. Find the nose, right? So it's but places where you might find kind of remnants of the, of the enclosure. But Chuck has this very kind of interesting suggestion. Okay, he suggests that um, there might be another place to look for the body. Okay, and so he said he talks about how um, as Alexandria becomes Christianized, right. There is a set of mummified remains that comes to be associated with Mark, uh, the uh, the gospel writer, yes. who by tradition goes to Alexandria. As, as also a, the patron saint of Venice. Yes, right. And that's the interesting thing. Okay. And so um, there's evidence that this, this 
sanctified, mummified remains of Mark is smuggled to Alexandria before kind of the, the, the Arabs get a hold of it. Right. And they take it to Venice and they place it in the St. Mark's Cathedral, which you can see there with all the pigeons there right. in the famous square there. Um, now, there are traditions that Mark's body when, uh, was, was burned by, by pagans. Um, but Chug, uh, he says, why would Mark's body have been mummified? Right. That's not a very... That's not, a, not Christian a Christian burial, right? No, he's typically just buried, right? So, but the truth is, this mummified remains was taken and buried in Venice, thinking this is the body of Mark the Evangelist. Mm. So he suggests there might have been again one of these a mistake, a mistake, or one of these convergences of of association. So someone picked up Alexander's mummified body, think, yes, thinking it was Mark. Think the it was Mark's, or saying this is this was venerated. Let's transfer that veneration from Alexander, whoever yeah, this is, right. to a Christian figure. In a similar way in which uh, Ptolemy stole the body. Stole the exactly right, and also in a similar way to, that the Muslims uh, perhaps associated Daniel with Alexander. Right. Kind of this, this merging of, mm. of, of 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 sanctity. Yeah, you like this kind of stuff, don't I you? I do. I mean, I, I don't. I don't fully Let's buy it. Let's throw in some liminality here. Well, I, I, we don't have to go that far. Okay, right. but I mean, Chug goes so far as he says. Let's open that thing up and see what's down there. Let's let's do some DNA. Let's well, do in, our... the, in the uh, interesting suggestion uh, in the third uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, Indiana Jones movie, yes, right? which is not Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's um, what Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Yes. The beginning of that is in the the square of uh, Saint Mark's in Venice. That's right. right. The, the the square collapses or something, and they I go down remember. in the sewers. Yes, right? Yes. Yes. I don't remember all the details. There's a boat involved and such, but yeah. It's apropos of this conversation because something's down there. Yes, exactly. Right. So, All right. I don't know if I go as far as Chug. It's okay. like, let's, let's crack the sarcophagus open and poke around down there. Mm-hmm. But it's, a, at the very least, an intriguing, fascinating suggestion. If they did, he'd be on History Channel. Absolutely. He'd have a second book. Yes, he would. Maybe a movie. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's angling I don't for, know. Right? Maybe we could get him on the podcast. Yeah. But we're up against the clock. Yes, we? we are. We got to get out of here. All right. So we got some people to thank. As always. We want to thank uh, Mishka Fernando. Yes who is uh, our wonderful sound engineer, puts this all together so nicely, and is putting together the video edition Excellent. for the yes. first time. Yes, we're excited about this, if a little nervous about it. I'm yeah. more than a little nervous. <laughs> uh, for the first time, we're going to thank Agricola. Agricola. Yeah, code name. Code name for, yeah, for oh, the guy who's doing the filming. Oh, that's right, Agricola. I got you. Agricola. I got you. Yes, right. yes, yes. Uh, who's filming for us this evening. Yep. And we got to thank what? Um, Scott Vinzen. Yes. Ken Tamplin for the great fantastic music. Fantastic guitarist. Uh, Ken runs an online vocal academy. How to Sing Better Than Anyone Else. Yeah. And uh, Scott's got a new album out. And um, who else do we need to thank? Um, the listeners? We should probably thank the listeners. Should we? What yeah. should we thank them for? Well, we should thank them for their, their dedication. Right. For coming back week after week. Right. We should ask them maybe to leave a review. Yes. Right. You can write to Dave at. Well, that's not leaving a review. Oh, oh, that's, that's sending us feedback. That's right. So a review on their favorite platform, which is probably Apple or Google or something, Spotify, like that. something exactly. like that. Um, if they have suggestions, questions, yes. if you want a shout out, you can write to Dave at Dave at adnauseum.com. Don't forget the V. Or write to me, Jeff at adnauseum.com. Don't forget, Don't forget the, the v. v. Right. You're gonna make the V sign. V. Just All like right. that. And Dave, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, which is episode number 66, we are going to have uh, my daughter, Jillian Noe, on yes. the show. And uh, she's going to talk to us about Harry Potter. Harry Potter and maybe some Percy Jackson, too? Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> she's going to talk to us about Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson. And yes. maybe throw in some Harry Potter. I, I think the angle we're going to take, the approach, uh, should be how does a young classicist how does she get interested in the study of Greek and Latin and how the Percy Jackson series sparked and developed that interest? Yes. Should be really, really interesting. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't it wait. It should be a lot of fun. Right. And Dave, you got our gustatory parting shot? I do. This comes from Sun Tzu, yeah. The Art of War. Wait, now, he talked about food? Well, I'm going to say that I don't think this quote is necessarily as Sun Tzu originally intended it. Yes. But I think it fits very nicely into our uh, gustatory theme. Okay. And Sun Tzu says... Defeat your enemy from within. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks.